the New York Artist Collective podcast. This next one's about. Hi there and welcome to This Next One's About. I am your host, singer-songwriter Stephanie Manns. And if you've not joined us before, this is a podcast where we invite songwriters to pick apart one of their songs and give us the lowdown on what it's about and how it became the song you're going to hear today. Today's guest is singer-songwriter and actor Alicia Witt. Alicia is a very accomplished actor, having started in the business when she was cast in the movie June when she was just seven years old. She then went on to star in Sybil and movies like Two Weeks Notice and more recently Orange is the New Black. But what you may not know about her is that she is a world-class pianist who began competing and winning music competitions before she was 10 years old. And she's gone on to become a very accomplished singer-songwriter and musician in her own right. Now, stay tuned at the end of the episode because Alicia has been kind enough to give us a special unreleased demo track exclusive to NYAC podcast listeners that will be coming out later this year. Ahead of her upcoming New York show at City Vineyards, Alicia is here to talk about a track called Earful from her latest EP, 15,000 Days. Alicia Witt, welcome to This Next One's About. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. So nice to be here. Um, well, how about we jump right into it? Because I have so many questions about your career in music, Nashville, like growing up as a an actor, and then you know, turning. I, for me, it's like turning your hand to music. But you were always a musician, so so many questions. But let's start talking about um, your track, Earful. So, what is what is the song about, and and how did it come to be? This song came to be. Um, I had worked on a job. Um, as an actor, and I worked with someone that I felt an undeniable connection with and an attraction and all the things that that one might hope to feel. But it's, you know, as in any workplace environment, you are operating in a professional mode and you don't want to cross a boundary and you know, ask if they're single or ask if they're feeling the same way or do anything to rock the boat while you're working together. We did have each other's numbers, though. And I found myself back home after the job had ended, just filled with questions and longing to know if the feelings were mutual and suspecting they had to be and wishing there were a way to find out and wishing we could be in person, knowing it would be a lot easier if it didn't have to be a communication via text or remote brainwaves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a vulnerable position, isn't it? Yeah. To sort of like somebody and not know how to how to ask. Yeah. And it occurred to me this is sort of this is something anybody feels after, you know, if you've had a date, a first date, and you know it's a date, so you know the possibility is there for a romantic connection, but then you find yourself afterwards not wanting to say too much. If you're really stunned by the connection, you might say more in person. You might be able to gauge their reactions, the look in their eye to see if you're going too far or if you're alone in it. And I just found myself sitting at the piano, um, starting to formulate a song, and it didn't really want to finish by itself. And I wrote what became the finished version of it with a writer named David Joe Nellis. I shared with him all of the massive pages and pages of lyrics I had written on the subject and the melodic theme 
and the tag I had, but I didn't know what the rest of it was. And we wrote it, we finished it in about a, an hour and a half. It was so easy writing it with him. I'm really proud of this song. Those are the best ones, aren't they, when they just kind of flow out of you and you've got that that kind of magical connection going with like to the song. <laughs> so true. So that song is from your EP, 15,000 Days, which you recorded at Blackbird Studios in Nashville, the famous uh, Blackbird Studio with Jakir King. Yes. And making that EP was an extraordinary experience. I actually did a Kickstarter campaign and and raised uh, an incredible amount of money to make this EP a reality. Jakir has been producing some of my favorite albums for the last 20 years. One of his most iconic albums that he's co-produced is Only by the Night by Kings of Leon, that first really big album that they put out that made them international superstars and Mm-hmm. It's still, I was just listening to Notion, one of the tracks off of it today in the car. It's still one of my favorite albums. And he's worked with Nora Jones and uh, Tom Waits, James Bay and Foy Vance, countless other artists that, I mean, so many records, so many tracks that I've loved. And when he had heard some of my demos and actually agreed to meet with me and sit down with me and listen to more of my songs in person. I was blown away. And then after that first meeting, he said he did want to produce some tracks with me. But because of how legendary he is, his prices are basically big label prices. And I'm an indie artist. So I needed to find a way to raise that kind of money. And thankfully on Kickstarter, we made it happen. To get to record at Blackbird Studios is an experience I will always remember no matter where I record my next records. We did most of it live in terms of the the instruments. So that means I played the piano and the drummer and bass player and the guitarist were all playing alongside me with isolation booths surrounding their instruments. And we were all joined with headphones and it it brings a completely different energy to those tracks. It was a really magical experience. Ian Fitchick, who is one of the producers on Casey Musgrave's Golden Hour record that, that, as we know, is extraordinary. It was a wonderful Um, album. We had the honor of him playing drums and doing some keyboards and arranging a lot of my piano parts on this EP. I just, it was a beautiful experience to kind of surrender whatever I had imagined in my head these tracks were going to sound like and trust that this producer whose music I've loved for so long was going to put his own touches on them and I loved that before we got into the studio, once we had decided which tracks we were going to produce, um, he wanted me to write for him a detailed list of the lyrics, what inspired them, what the song means to me, kind of tracks that I'd heard in my life that I thought were similar. And then he put his own spin on them, which was completely different than anything I could ever have come up with. Such is the beauty of producers. Um, they're just such, to me, they're like the unsung heroes of 
some of the great music out there and they're not really that well known often some of them right let's take a listen to earful My mistakes playing back in my head Every word that I wish I had said If you were here, you'd get a near full tonight Your fingers on my shoulder, did you mean it that way? Is it my imagination, now you're feeling the same? If you were here, you'd get a near full tonight If you were here, you'd get a near full tonight that was earful and I have to ask you what was the outcome of that that romantic connection 
Because <laughs> you That's... set me up. It was so suspenseful. Did it go well? Was it was it returned? Or should we just we we could we could leave the mystery as it is? You know what? It remains a mystery. Okay. In my heart. I don't I'm not exactly sure. It turned into a very deep friendship and I I could not venture to guess <laughs> whether it was reciprocated or not. <laughs> it was it's one of my life's great mysteries. And I love that there's a song to capture the feeling that I had in the very beginning of it, before the deep friendship had even been established. Mm-hmm. Well, perhaps um, there will be more fodder for your, ne- your next album from that connection. There is. <laughs> there definitely <laughs> is. You, you'll be able to hear a little through line, I'm sure. Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, so when are you planning a, your, your next album? I am in the throes of planning it at this very moment. I have been writing a ton. I've just in the last five months, I've been spending almost all of my weekdays when I'm at home in Nashville and not on location working on my other career, the acting world. Um, I've been spending these days writing and mostly with the intention of these songs being recorded by other artists. Um, lots of country writing sessions. Mm-hmm. And of course, along with that, there are songs that that I've written on my own and both from some of these sessions that I've fallen in love with and I definitely will be recording and releasing. So at this point, I've got at least 30 songs to right. try and narrow it all down from. And... Uh, basically more than enough material to put out my next full-length album. And what I want it to be is more of a stripped down, kind of leaning a a bit more towards Americana pop. Mm. I'm very mad about Brandi Carlile's last record and all of her stuff that she's released. Sean Colvin is another of my heroes. And as a piano player, I'm often compared to piano playing singer-songwriters who I also love, Mm -hmm. like Sarah Bareilles or, Mm -hmm. you know, Elton John and Billy Joel obviously have changed my life in terms of inspiration and just what it means to play piano as your accompaniment. And so what what I'm dreaming up in my head is an album that has piano as the main accompanying instrument, but has more of that slightly folky vibe that is really tugging on my heartstrings lately. I, I, I just can sort of visualize it. I even know what the cover looks like. I'll, I'll let you wait till it comes out to see it, but I can see it in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the same time as that, um, one of the genres that I have worked in consistently as an actor over the last seven years, going on eight years, is... Christmas movies. I've made so many Christmas movies. <laughs> now, I found that out when I was doing my research. Many Christmas movies. Yes, many. So I'm, I'm assuming that you are a fan of Christmas. I love Christmas. I truly do. I probably love Christmas even more since I've been making all these Christmas movies. It's become something that wherever I go all throughout the year, I'm constantly meeting people who 
are telling me what these movies have meant to them for their families at Christmas time. So in a weird way, I feel as though I'm kind of celebrating Christmas all year now, where I never used to do that. And not to mention the fact that my annual Christmas movie, when it's filmed, is filmed usually anywhere from March to September, October. So I have this weird pre-Christmas, all-immersive Christmas celebration that happens long before the actual Christmas does. This is just reminding, I'm having flashbacks mm-hmm. of going into that all year round Christmas shop in New York. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a couple of them. Yeah. But that's cool. I'm excited for your, your new Christmas album because I, I know that you've done, you have a couple of Christmas singles, um, but to do a, a full album, that's, that's, a, that's a task. That's exciting. Yeah, I've got, I've got now about eight or nine brand new Christmas songs just waiting in the wings. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to, my intention is to put out two full length albums in 2020. One will be the non Christmas and one will be all Christmas all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Should take it down to that Christmas shop. And yes, they can play my album all year long. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk a little bit more about Nashville. I'm, I'm so interested in terms of you growing up as um, a very accomplished piano player at the same time, when your acting career took off when you were very young and you moved to LA to pursue acting. And one thing I I find really interesting was that um, you were performing weekly at the famous Beverly Wilshire, which uh, any rom-com fan will know is famous from Pretty Woman. And then you you landed uh, a film role in Dune and then your career kind of skyrocketed from there. So Dune was the first movie that I did when I was seven. And the same year that I made Dune. I had also started playing piano and I competed in and won my first piano competition. So it was as though both of these defining passions in my life came about exactly at the same time. And I couldn't convince my parents to spend a permanent amount of time in LA at that young age. But I did continue my piano lessons and I continued to compete and take that seriously. But then the acting passion was just too strong and I ended up moving to L.A. when I was 14 for the most part. went back and forth a few times. Um, And yes, I played five days a week at the Beverly Wilshire to earn my living. I was using that to pay my rent and buy my groceries and get around on the bus to all of my acting auditions. It was a fantastic night job. And I was able to quit that when I was 19, when I got my first series, which was on Sybil. But um, I I actually was able to work while I was still employed at the Beverly Wilshire. And one of the jobs that I got was from a director seeing me playing the piano and having a weird feeling that I might be right for his movie, which when he approached me and told me, I was Mm -hmm. a little nervous about. I didn't know if he was some creep that was, you know, trying to lure me in on some modeling job or something strange. But it turned out that he was completely legit. He got in touch with my agents. He had no idea I actually was an actor and had already done quite a few things anyway. And 
that movie was the one that really changed my life. I ended up at Sundance with that film and getting an acting award. And from that point on, I ended up working quite a lot that year that I was 18 until I got the job on Sybil that allowed me to quit and become a full-time actor. And then the music remained as a passion. I think I always, always knew that I was supposed to be making my own music. But for so many years, I wasn't brave enough to really do it consistently. I had a few little false starts with producers that heard me and recognized some sort of potential there, but I think it was also clear that I wasn't quite ready for it, and I hadn't developed my voice yet as a writer. And then when I was 31, a long relationship I had been in ended to my relief, because <laughs> it just wasn't right anymore. And I started writing as soon as he walked out the door with the last of his stuff, and I wrote a lot of the lyrics to a song that ended up getting released on my first EP called Blind. And from that night on, I haven't stopped writing. It's just been pouring out of me for all of those years. And it was 10 years ago that I released my first, my first music. And it feels like now I'm in the right balance of my life where I'm doing both and spending equal amounts of time on both careers. And I'm happier than I've ever been. And that's great to hear. Um, and how do you feel that your move to Nashville is sort of supporting and nurturing your musical career? It is supporting my life in general. I'm, I, I can't express how much happier I am living here than I was the last few years living in LA. It just, it's nothing against LA. I know that LA is great for some people and it certainly was wonderful for me and changed my life in too many ways to even count. But I lived there for 25 years and I fell in love with Nashville from the first time I set foot in it. And starting in 2012, when I played my first show at the Bluebird with the release of an album live at Rockwood, I, I met people that were transformative for my writing and, and for me personally every time I was in Nashville and just had this sense of being supported and being inspired and just like a breath of relief every time I would come here. And when I spent my longest stretch of time here in 2016 when I worked on season four of the ABC show Nashville, I think that's when I finally started realizing that my love for this city was more than what warranted just coming back and forth three or four times a year. I really felt more like myself living here. And then in 2017, I just almost had a knee-jerk reaction and put my house on the market and waited to see what would happen. And and then a house that I fell in love with showed up on the market and it just, it worked out perfectly for me to make the move. Uh, before before we started uh, the recording, um, you were telling me about um, your experience on the TV show Nashville and that originally they were um, auditioning actors for that were also singer-songwriters for parts on the show and then this, this um, role came up for you. 
Um, what was the that experience like in terms of being in a cast full of actors, singers, songwriters? Did that feel home for you? It was pleasantly surreal to be on a set playing a professional singer and a writer and to be surrounded by people who also did both and loved music as intrinsically as I do. And it was also surreal in a way that a couple of shows have been for me in that Nashville was a guilty pleasure show for me. It was, I was spending a lot of time in Nashville from the time the show started airing. So it was fun to see locations that I was familiar with, restaurants and studios and street blocks. And then to see this kind of heightened, fictionalized version of the city that I love was fun. And I just loved it. I loved seeing these singers, knowing that all of the actors on it were doing their own singing and watching the writing process within the show, which is a pretty accurate depiction of how songs are born. And then also just, it was beautifully crafted in terms of the the love affairs and the scandals. And it just kept you watching. I found myself every Wednesday night at nine o'clock trying to watch that show live. And if I missed it, I would watch it at the very first opportunity I had and just curl up with a blanket and my dog and some ice cream and watch Nashville. So that was strange getting to be on that show and meeting all the actors and thinking, oh my gosh, you're, you're this actor, you're Gunner, and <laughs> you're Deacon. And then getting to know them and becoming friends with these incredibly lovely people, um, in particular Aubrey Peoples has become a dear friend of mine. And I was a huge fan of hers on the show. I thought she was just one of the best. And I loved her character, Layla. And she and I spent most of my first day on set working together. So we became very fast friends. And then we never had another scene together. <laughs> and she's just absolutely lovely. And then actually the, the group of friends that I made from the Airbnb that I rented while I was living in Nashville, working on the show. Those are people that became like my soul sisters, my tribe, and I can't imagine my life without them. I love the use of the word tribe. Yeah, I definitely hear that. <laughs> so Alicia, you are coming to New York February 1st to perform a show at City Vineyard. Very excited to see you perform. And in 2020, you have a Christmas album. Mm -hmm. You have a non-Christmas album. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> there are many other things that I believe that you have in the works. And I'm very excited for you. But before I let you go, I have one final question for you. Okay. So, um, and I love to ask this of my guests because I find that it gives me a real insight into, into them and their, their, their musical taste and what, you know, how they might write a song. On your imaginary iPod, back in the day when we had iPods, and if you still had one now, and effectively it's, you know, just your iPhone because it's still the same thing. Okay. <laughs> um, what, are your top, what are your top three tracks on your iPhone, iPod right now? I've been listening to, oh gosh, well, for my, pretty much my entire life, one of my all-time favorite songs is You Needed Me by Anne Murray. I try to listen to that at least once a week, and I have for pretty much my whole life. I love that song. My goodness, there are so many songs. Um, I love Take It With Me by Tom Waits. That's one of the songs I would want to listen to. If I were stranded on a desert island, that whole album, but in particular that song, 
is like salvation for me. And a third song, wow. Out of all the songs in all of the world, goodness. Maybe Let It Be Me by Rayla Montaigne. He's something else to watch. I saw him at Radio City mm. maybe about a year ago. And he's famously quiet, as in like he'll almost play an entire set and he won't talk. Mm. Let's the songs speak for themselves. Yep. And it was just him acoustically and I think a, uh, someone accompanying him on bass and occasional backing vocals, but it was just so raw and yeah yeah it was just it was it's just amazing that you can kind of do that kind of show in that venue and just have it just be about the songs and his voice and his voice is incredible oh so it's a good choice yeah you needed me was my first favorite song i was three when i heard it for the first time it i have shivers just even thinking of it to me i i guess as a three-year-old i thought that song summarizes what it means to love and if I think about how I've thought of love through all the years since I was three years old, I, I don't know that my philosophy on it has changed much. I still kind of think that song sums it up. I've, I'm ashamed I don't know it. I need to listen to this song like now. She's Canadian. She's a, a magical singer. She's got so many songs that I love. Um, and I've never seen her live. Do you ever cover that song? I never have. I might cry if I tried. <laughs> yeah, but probably better just to listen to Anne Murray's version. It's one of those also that I, I've done some covers in my life. Like I did a cover of a song I love. You can call me Al by Paul Simon, but I did a very different version. Mine is, is dissonant and dark and creepy and. I feel like I was able to illuminate something in the lyrics that was a bit intentionally hidden and allowed for a, a deeper listener to discover, um, which I did. I listened and then I brought it up to the surface in this really creepy version that I put out because <laughs> I think it's a it's a beautiful, dark song and the arrangement is very misleading. He wrote the song while he was going through a painful divorce while he was spending a lot of time in apartheid era South Africa. So there's a lot of darkness in it. Um, but I, I think about You Needed Me and I don't think there's anything I would change. Mm -hmm. I will have to listen to it, but you can call me out. It was, I, I, you know, listened to the version that you, you did. Oh. And it was, it was really interesting. And I was like so surprised that you went there with it. And when I listened to You Can Call Me Out, and I love that song, it's, it's so great. And for me, like the most interesting, like, I think when people think about that song, they're like, there's a bass solo. <laughs> there are never bass solos anywhere. And it's an incredible bass solo. Yeah, but is. like, that's what you, or certainly that's what I associate with it. And I think your version forced me to listen a bit deeper. Thank you. That's what I had hoped to accomplish with it. We are out of time. I want to thank you so much for being a guest tonight, um, for illuminating me on your musical career and how it's intertwined with your acting career. I'm so very excited to see you at City Vineyards February 1st uh, in New York City. And good luck with all of the albums, all of the albums, two of them this year. You know, still <laughs> doing one in a year is pretty hard, yes. but, you know, I, I have faith in you. Thank you. And now I've said it <laughs> yep. in, in golden radio preservation forever radio posterity for all time so i must deliver on it thank you 
I will call you next year and see where you're at with it. Okay. <laughs> it's a deal. Alicia Witt, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Alicia Witt and her song Earful from her EP 15,000 Days. Alicia's details are in today's episode, and she's been kind enough to give us an exclusive free track, especially for our podcast listeners. So if you want to be the first to listen to an unreleased track of hers, all you need to do is click the link in the episode details and we will send that directly to you. Thank you so much for listening to this next one's about. Next time on the show, I have my good friend, Lake Street Dive's own Aki Burmese talking about his latest release. So make sure you subscribe to the show to be the first to hear that episode. I'm Stephanie Manns. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. New York Artist Collective.